0: Welcome to Kaya, the College and Young Adult Ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Is a way. Um, there's a lot of people who are um, wisely quarantining this week, and that's good. And we want to. Pray for them and and ask that the Lord would give them swift recovery. Some people, obviously, it's harder for than others. Um, For those of you who... Hey, Pablo, what's up, man? It's so good to see you, dude. Um, Having been in quarantine for two weeks, it's it's, uh, good to be here. Um, I woke up this morning and looked in the mirror, I think, for the first time in two weeks and realized that I was... This, was, this is a serious quarantine beard happening right here. And so uh, I apologize. I'll have this trimmed up in, in more orderly fashion next week so you guys don't have to be ashamed of me. Do you know how you get ashamed, ashamed of Dad? I know you guys get that way with me. You're like, oh, my gosh, what is he doing? Um, so I, I do my best. I don't want uh, to embarrass you guys. So I'll get that in check. Um, yeah, but, but pray that, that people would come back to us swiftly. And um, that uh, God would heal him up. And um, Man, but it's, it's good to be back. Thank you, Alex, for preaching last week, man. Good word. Um, one of the things I did realize that me and Sam Miles have been talking about, um, Junior, have been talking about is making sure we get the, the live stream in order. I didn't realize that, that there was some, still some work to be done on the live stream. So we're going to get that in check, um, try to improve on that. Um, by way of announcement... Uh, I got really great news this morning from Andrew that we're having already a lot of really awesome opportunities with FOI uh, this semester. And so kind of an unexpected blessing to see um, international students start to pour back into UMKC and, and there is what looks like to be an effectual open door with people and opportunities. And so um, this is a call to all hands on deck. Okay, I know there's a lot of us who are struggling to make inroads with the lost right now and And we're looking for ways to to reach out to people. And this is going to be an awesome opportunity for our Bible studies to kind of get behind fill-in gaps uh, in FOI and just be a a present help. Um, And so be praying about that and be looking for opportunities. Be ready to serve in some way. In the coming weeks, you'll hear about opportunities um, that are going to arise this semester. Cool? Anything else I have to cover there? I feel like... You feel like you guys like the worship really messed you up, didn't it? It messed me up. I'm, I was like, I, I wept through the entire thing and I'm really praying that I can keep control of myself uh, during the message today. I had the best seat in the house. My ear, my right ear is bleeding, uh, but uh, that's okay. Um, I'm thankful to be here. We're back in Acts. Back in Acts. Some of you, have. you're so new that you didn't ever even know we were in Acts like, what, you were in Acts? I thought you were just like preaching about Elijah and stuff. No. Uh, we've been in Acts, and Acts has been uh, a, a powerful book for us. And um, uh, because there, o- there's only one thing in this whole life to do, right? That, that's that's kind of the point of being in Acts, is, is recognizing that there's only one thing in life really worth doing, and that's preaching the gospel everywhere we go. Okay, the mission, that's it. That, that's it. And, uh, uh, and so if you haven't figured it out yet, if you're looking for a Kush church to be at, this isn't the one. This isn't the one, okay? And, and you're going to hear us saying what I think most people um, have, have properly uh, pegged us as, and that is radical. I mean, I don't even think we're there yet. People call us radical, and I'm like, I mean, we're not, we haven't even gotten it figured out but we, we strive and desire to live a mission-minded lifestyle, which means that, that it's to some people, to the average Christian, uh, that's going to look probably kind of radical. It's, it's going to look kind of crazy. We're going to catch some flack for that. But if we look at our Bible, the point is if we look at our Bible and we look at the Christians in the Bible and we measure ourselves against what we see, then we have no choice but to live what other people are going to perceive as a radical life. Okay, And so that's what we're doing in Acts. That's what we're doing. And so by way of recap, if I may, just recap Acts for a moment. Okay, Acts is the history book of the early apostles. All right, Those are the guys that God commissioned, Jesus Christ commissioned to do the work of spreading the gospel throughout the whole known world. And if you've read Acts at all, you recognize that God uh, endowed to them special giftings that brought attention to them and brought attention to the gospel. They were doing some kind of some crazy things, speaking in tongues and healing people, doing these miracles uh, that seem you know, just absolute, absolutely insane to us, but, but, but God was with them in that and empowered them to do that. And early on in the book, what we see is Jesus Christ uh, commissioning these early disciples, these, these early apostles, to go and preach the kingdom of God, which is the message that if people believe on Jesus Christ, they put their faith in him, that they actually have access to a spiritual kingdom that binds all Christians together and places their future in, the, in heaven. Okay, And he, he asked them to go to the whole world and to preach this message. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit comes down and empowers them for that work fills them, and they go out into the streets and they start preaching in languages that they didn't otherwise know. And 3,000 people come to, to Christ just like that. And chapter after chapter, what we begin seeing is that these early Jewish Christians were going and they were sharing the gospel everywhere that they went. And chapter after chapter, we see that they, they face persecution for it. Okay, And as we walk through the story, what we see is that the, the Apostle Peter and James and John... Uh, that these men, they were, they were put in, 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 in prison, they were beaten for what they believe. Okay, we, com- we complain about such ridiculous stuff as Christians. I mean, I mean, come on. The, the things that we boo-hoo about. I mean, these folks were really going through it. And I, I'm so thankful for Acts because it reminds us that even this last year when it seems like the oppression has been turned up on Christians and like we're like the most hated people in America right now, I mean, it's the, the stuff that people uh, say I, I don't know, I, on my Facebook page, I posted a verse like this last week, and a, fr- a friend from high school that I haven't talked to in a long time. I'm pretty old. I don't want to tell you how long it's been since I've talked to this person, because you gonna, you're gonna know how old, it's 20 years since I've talked to this person, right? So she gets on there, and she is saying, "Look at what your president did." They posted a verse. Right? Look at what your president has done to our country and don't aren't you ashamed and blah 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 and I'm like My president What are you t- what I mean what are you talking about? And and, and the associations that people want to make now that uh, that somehow if you believe in the Bible and you believe in Jesus Christ that like you're just the enemy. You're just the enemy. That's what it comes down to. These dudes, but listen, come on. A little ridicule on Facebook is that, that's going to get me worked up? Oh my gosh, no. Heck no. Right? I mean, Peter kept his cool, and, the, and the, he's getting lashed. Right? We got to be ready for more than that, right? And a little Facebook drama. Okay? And, uh, and, and so that's what we're learning. We're watching Peter's life, and it's amazing. Now, all these things are happening throughout the book of Acts, and, and what happens along the way is that the persecution turns up to the point Where the the disciples and the followers of Jesus Christ actually have to leave Jerusalem. And many of them, not all of them, but many of them fled into other regions. And they took the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And people are getting saved in other places. People that aren't even ethnically Jewish. Now early on in Christianity, Judaism and Christianity, the lines were really blurred. It was almost only Jews that had believed on Jesus Christ. And so when people thought about Christianity, they thought about Judaism. They didn't realize how distinct the message of the Messiah truly was. And so the earliest believers were Jewish. And so there wasn't very many people outside of the Jewish community that were coming to know Jesus Christ until these Jewish believers began scattering out into these other regions and people started getting saved. And then the team back home in Jerusalem starts sending apostles and deacons and missionaries out into those regions to help plant churches. And the church starts sprouting up in all of these places. And then and then pretty soon we've got this guy named Saul. Okay, Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee, and he was high-ranking in the religious order of the Jews. And he was a persecutor of the church, which meant he took teams into, into places where he heard that Christians were be- beginning to grow and to sprout. And he would go there, and he'd imprison them and beat them and, and treat them poorly uh, with the hope of tamping down this, this uh, like, a insurgence of Christians that were beginning to, to happen he, he was trying to, to, to snuff that out but on the way to, 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 to Damascus, the city where Christians were really starting to take, take root Jesus Christ met him in bodily form and the light shone, shone so bright that it blinded him and he came to a place where he confessed Jesus Christ and his life was changed he got, he got trained in the desert by Christ himself, that's a whole other story go back and listen to the messages Okay? And so so he gets he gets trained and he studies and then he comes out the gate hard. Hard. The dude does not play. Okay, and what we see, we see him go to Jerusalem. He gets acceptance among the other apostles. Okay, and he's he's adopted as an apostle apostle like the other apostles. And then pretty soon he's just preaching the gospel everywhere he goes, and people are talking about what has happened to Paul, because he's kind of scary still. Right? Like, like he, was the, he was the persecutor of the church and now he's the preacher of the gospel. What do we think about this guy? And he's going all over, the, all over the region and he's preaching. Pretty soon he finds himself helping out at a church called Antioch. Okay? And he's helping out, training and teaching and discipling people with, with his dear friend Barnabas. And then they're commissioned. The church recognizes these guys are unique. We need to start sending them other places. The church in Antioch is strong. We're doing well. We need to start sending these guys out to do missions trips and start investing in others. And so they ordain Paul and Barnabas for the work of, of the mission. And they start sending them out. And, and, and the persecution just continues. And, we, and we've been looking at the life of Paul. And just all the things that he's going through in different cities and different places. And the, and the message that he's preaching. And we're learning, what we're learning is principles for ministry. Especially from the life of Paul. Because Paul is our ensample. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. okay, And he is our specific and sample as New Testament believers. So we want to pay really close attention to what his life looks like and the way that he does ministry because he's really our apostle. He wrote what we call doctrine for the church age. That's what he wrote. The portions of scripture that we subscribe to as the the doctrine that we live by, he wrote that stuff. And so we want to look very closely at his life. And we've been learning all these principles from from Paul. Um, Now, most recently, Paul was in Athens, Okay, which is the, the most, um, uh, at the time, most famous academic city in the world. And he's preaching the gospel among the philosophers. And if you're in the speech and reasoning class in LFBI, you're going to hear me talking about, about these, these fellows a lot uh, in the next couple weeks in that class. But he's preaching and he's debating with the philosophers. That's where we last saw him. And we talked about having a heart and a burden for the city. You guys remember that when we talked about what it really looked like? Because remember when Paul went there and he looked out upon Athens, he couldn't do anything else but preach. He was so burdened by the lostness of the city, he couldn't help but just preach everywhere he went. And he preached and he preached and he preached. He had a few converts there as well. But we talked about what it meant to have a burden for the city. And what it means to have a burden for Kansas City. And, to, and when we lay our head down at night, are we thinking about the people that we know? Are we, are we looking uh, for creative strategies to go to the lost and to preach the gospel? Right? This list that Andrew sent me this morning of all the ways that you can minister through FOI, that's called strategy. That's strategy. Are you strategizing to reach the lost? Are you thinking about all the ways in which you can get the gospel to those that are dying and going to hell? Does that occupy your thoughts? Does that occupy your mind? Are you burdened for this city? That's what we've been talking about. And so now we're at Acts chapter 18, and Paul steps foot kind of by himself. Remember, Timothy and the boys, they're still off in Berea, and he hasn't quite met up with them yet, right? And, And he steps into Corinth, and there's kind of a new chapter on this uh, second missionary journey as he spends quite a lot of time in Corinth, okay? And so we're going to be looking at that today. Is that a decent recap? I'm sorry, I can't re-preach the last two years. I I can't do that this morning. Uh, You're going to have to go back and and listen to those messages. Let's pray again um, that I have strength, first of all, because my body is um, still a little weak. So pray for me, and uh, pray that God will get the glory this morning from the message. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you, we love you, we adore you, in fact. When we consider who we are, and all the ways that we have failed you with our lives, <clears throat> it seems all the more phenomenal that you would send your Son, Jesus Christ, that he would die for us, that he would raise again and defeat death once and for all. And to know you is the privilege of our lives. It's the only thing. There is no job, no career choice that I can make that's going to fulfill me. There's no um, thing that I can achieve in this world no bank account no relationships that will ever satisfy me in the way that you satisfy me when i just stop and stare at your beautiful face when i consider the words of your scripture when i just sit at your feet i realize that there's just there's just nothing else i get lost there And Lord, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for for the gift of your love that allows me to transcend the chaos and the anger of my reality. People at each other's throats, spewing hatred everywhere, trying to tell me what I ought to believe and trying to recruit me for their ideologies and to, to sift me away and And yet all that stuff just fades away when I think about the cross. Lord, I pray that today your word would be magnified, that you'd be glorified, Lord, that we'd be able to walk away from from Acts chapter 18 today with with truth that would impact our lives, that would change our perspective, that would provoke us to righteous living and to the Great Commission. Help us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Extra weepy today, y'all. Don't know what to do about that, but uh, you're used to that now anyway. Um, So, Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Today we're talking about integrating your life in your ministry. It's a very practical name for a message. It's the best I could come up with, but it's a very practical message today. It's going to be very straightforward. Okay, let's start Uh, by reading verses 1 through 4 here. After these things, Paul departed from Athens, like we said before, and came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Okay, so Paul meets uh, Aquila and Priscilla, all right? I don't know. Aquila and Priscilla, they, get, they just get so much, like, recognition, all right? They just, people just love them, some Aquila and Priscilla. We'll talk about that in a minute. <clears throat> uh, they're a husband and wife team, and they were recently kicked out of Italy for being ethnically Jewish, Okay, now that seems really crazy, doesn't it? Uh, but you have to understand, in Rome during this time period, the Jews were kind of known as rabble rousers right? Because the, the Jewish people were basically a part of the Roman occupation, and they lived in these Roman cities, and they were, they were kind of, in their own perspective, they were oppressed people, and they kind of stirred things up. Okay, but when you introduce Christianity, things just got real crazy, all right? And the Roman government recognized that this Christianity thing uh, was just kind of out of control. And, and the, the, the king of, the, of, of Italy at this time, the guy that ruled the governor, his name was Claudius. And you can look back historically. Claudius wrote an edict during this time period that said that the Christian situation was too tumultuous. And because the, the Jews couldn't control themselves, remember, the Jews were the ones that were perceived to be the Christians, right? Because the Jews just didn't control themselves. We're just going to kick them out of Italy completely. That's just, we're going you got to go. It's time to go. And so they left, right? And so Aquila and Priscilla, they find themselves uh, here in Corinth and um, they meet, they meet uh, Paul. So Paul meets this Christian couple who would become his lifelong friends, and uh, who would have a huge impact on Paul and his ministry. These two are going to end up having... He mentions them over and over again in his letters. When he writes back uh, to, 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 to Corinth, he writes to Timothy, he's like, make sure you salute my dear friends Aquila and Priscilla. Okay, I love them so much, they're the best. Like, he's always pouring accolades out, he loves them. And they're going to become his lifelong friends. Listen to what Paul says about Aquila and Priscilla in Romans 16.3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers, in Christ Jesus, he refers to, him, to them as his helpers, his helpers. They were a help. And later on in this chapter, in Acts chapter 18, we're going to find out that Aquila and Priscilla, they were a help and that they were disciple makers. I mean, they go and they find this guy named Apollos, who's, um, who's not even saved, but he's, he's preaching the coming Messiah. Right, And they're like, oh, this dude, he's not quite figured it out yet. They preach the gospel to him, they lead him to Christ, and then they start discipling him and training him. These people were a help to Paul. I mean, Apollos would eventually become one of the, the, the greatest preachers of the first century. Apollos was a big deal. And Aquila and Priscilla were used to invest in his life. These people were a help to Paul. Okay, But what makes Aquila and Priscilla seem so unique? When we see their story, Because like I said, I mean, it's like every married couple are like, yeah, Aquila and Priscilla. Um, and there's really, if I'm honest with you, there's not a whole lot that's said about Aquila and Priscilla. I mean, we, we applaud them because of some of the things that we see, and we'll talk about them here. But there's not a whole lot said about them. What is said about them is so shocking to us as 21st century Christians that we have no choice to look at their lives and like look at the radical nature of their lives, but the truth is, they lived reasonable Christian lives. They lived reasonable, married couple Christian lives, but for some reason, when we look at their lives, we're like, ah, look how amazing they were. I wish we could be like them. How about you just live like a Christian? Here's the deal, The, the, the problem is that when we look at Aquila and Priscilla, compared to the contemporary American Christian marriage. It draws us a, a stark and shocking contrast. And that's why their lives look so unique. It's because Christian marriages in America are so void of the mission. They're so void of the mission. So many young Christians get married only to disappear into the bliss of one another, the satisfaction of homemaking. We're going to buy our first home. It's so exciting. We're going to renovate. You know, The amount of HGTV that people watch shocks me. I, I didn't know that that was, that was really a thing. I thought HGTV is what you, you watched when you were in the hospital because it was the only ch- like, channel that they offer at the hospital. It's like when you're in a hospital, every single room... Everyone's watching HGTV. I don't understand that. Nurses nurses know this, right? It's weird. What is the what is up with it? I don't get it. Um but when people when when people get married, when cr- Christian couples find each other in in ministry, what happens is they they begin to come become infatuated with with one another. And they begin thinking about and dreaming all these things about about their home together and their life and and and, um, you know, finder, finding their own piece of the American pie and, you know, the uninterrupted evening entertainment, you know, Netflix and chill without any sin, right? Just like, like you could just watch Netflix and you can go do whatever you want. It's a relaxed life, no stress. Um, you know, then, then they start thinking about children and the joys of having children and then, and then what comes with that is the challenges of children because really they're just monsters. You gave birth to a monster and they suck your life dry, okay? Ah, it's true. It's just, it's, I, I'm, you don't have to feel bad about that. It's just true. I love every bit of it. <laughs> <clears throat> but this is what happens is that is these couples, they find each other and they become infatuated with each other And then what happens is the mission just just fades away. Like, completely unintentionally. Like, it's not what they set out to do. But their love for one one another begins to usurp their love for Christ. It happens. Most American Christian marriages are an end in themselves. It's like the ultimate goal of being in a ministry just like this one, mind you. Being in a like there are literally people who church hop looking for the largest amount of singles. This is what like this is a legit thing. I mean, you can't trust God for that, I guess. So you got to go hunting. It's not any I mean, we won't, we won't go down that rabbit trail, but it's the ultimate goal to a lot of young unmarried believers is to their ultimate goal is not to please the lord it's to get married but this is this is how paul uh, this isn't how paul describes marriages at all like it's the exact opposite of what he describes marriages and in fact in 1 corinthians chapter 7 <clears throat> paul says you know i would prefer that a lot of you just stay single because if you get married it's going to be a distraction to the ministry like he literally warns against that very thing He's like, if you get married, it's going to be problematic. Like, look how sold out you are to Christ right now. If you get married, you might be distracted. So you might just consider being single, because that's more profitable for Jesus, your first husband. I mean, when we, when we read, I don't know about you, but, it, like, when you're, as a single person especially, when you're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you hate every bit of those statements. <laughs> right? Like, uh, not, not me. God, not me. It's like you know, people aren't praying, God, don't send me to that tribal community in Africa on the mission. I could never do that. Don't send me there. No, people aren't even thinking about that. Like, get, they're not thinking, God, don't send me to my Nineveh. I don't want, you know, they're, they're thinking, no, God, don't let me be single. I'll go anywhere in the world. You can send me anywhere in the world. Just don't make me go single. It's so wicked. We're so freaking messed up, Okay. Our perspective is so jacked because we don't love Jesus Christ as much as he loves us. So there's other options. It's, it's a problem. Key point number one. Marriage should enhance the mission, not distract from it. <clears throat> marriage should enhance the mission, not distract from it. I'm so thankful for my wife. My wife helps, uh, helps me in almost every regard. And because of her presence in my life, my ministry has changed. It doesn't look like it did when I was 20, 21 years old. It looks different. But she enhances it by supporting me, and I enhance her ministry by supporting her. We'll get to that here in a second. But marriage should enhance the mission, not distract from it. So, so for those thinking about marriage, what are some ways to have a mission-minded marriage? Like, like how, do I, how do I get my thinking right to ensure That I will have a mission-minded marriage so that when I get married, the ministry is enhanced and not distracted from. Okay, so for the very first thing, uh, number one, marry the right person. Marry the right person. Seems so easy, doesn't it? Man, it's not easy. It's not easy. You need to be discerning. You need to have wise counsel surrounding you all the time. So, what, so what, do you, what, what do we mean by the right person? Well, what, the right person is someone who shares the same trajectory that you're on in ministry. Someone who shares the same trajectory that you're on. Okay, so I'm thinking about, you know, there's a bunch of single guys over here. Yeah. Okay. All right. They're in D1. They're getting discipled. They're on a trajectory. Okay, they're, they're, they're in a path. They're getting focused. The heart is beginning to burn for the gospel. They want to go on campus. They want, to, they want to win the lost, okay? They end up in D2. They're thinking, I can't wait to disciple. I can't wait to win someone to the Lord and disciple them and invest. I can't wait for apprenticeship. I can't wait. I'm hearing about these classes in LFBI. They're going to train me for the mission. I can't wait to get in. I just can't wait, chomping at the bit, sending me emails like, hey, can I sign up in advance for this class? No, you can't sign up. Finish D2. Okay? But that's because they're excited, they're zealous. Okay, but, but listen to me. It's this easy. Some girl shows up in the ministry. She's awful fine. Okay? Do people still say fine? Okay. She's awful hot. Okay, she shows up. Okay, now listen. She looks like, maybe she looks like she wants to be a part she's kind of on the perimeter, kind of on the periphery, you know, she, does, she doesn't take discipleship and that stuff seriously, but you get to know each other maybe, maybe she's even been through D1 okay, but man, she lingers around and she kind of rides on other people's coattails and she doesn't seem very focused on evangelism and you're thinking the mission field and she's thinking a house with two cars and a, you know, if you're me, a gra- like a, a garage and a half and my, my garage is supposed to fit two cars in it, it does not fit two cars But you're thinking about all the things that you can have, and that's what she's thinking. She's the HGTV gal. Okay? I don't know. This is just my story. Okay? So, and then so suddenly your trajectory is one trajectory. Her trajectory seems like it's your trajectory, but that's only because you're not looking closely. And you marry this person, and all the things that God wanted to do in your life suddenly get stunted. Now, girls, this could happen in the reverse, too. There's a lot of male duds as well. Okay? Those exist as well. And so, but the point, you you get my point, right? People that, if if you're looking for someone, make sure they're headed the same direction as you. When we do premarital counseling with these couples who are about to get married, we have very serious conversations about the vision that they have for their life. If a guy's saying, well, you know, I think maybe God has the pastorate for me. Well, the person that he's marrying ought to be okay with that. I'm thinking about the mission field. I'm thinking about going to to Vietnam. I'm thinking about going somewhere like that. I I can see that on my life. Well, the person that he or she marries ought to be okay with that, thinking about that as well. Does this make sense? Got to be on the same trajectory. The worst thing you could do is marry someone because they're hot. I mean, looks are okay. That's important. Y'all, look at me. Looks fade. I mean, look at, what, look at what COVID did to me. <laughs> <sighs> looks fade. And so if you're focused primarily on the way someone looks, look, that'll get you through like the first month of dating, right? Like there's got to be something more. So you've got to marry the right person. It's like the common theme in all of the PostScript episodes recently. I don't know if you've noticed that. But all the guys that I've interviewed were like, yeah, you just got to marry the right person. Like, I'm a complete loser if I didn't have my wife. If she was someone else, I, would, I couldn't make it, right? Mark Trotter said that. Brian Clark said that. It's over and over and over again, right? Marry the right person. Cool? Number two, when you get married, keep the objectives clear. <clears throat> Always be talking about what God is doing. Always. Be, let, let Christ be the center of your conversations when you're hanging out, when it's date night, when you're at home. Don't turn the TV on. Find yourself in a situation where you can actually talk, okay? Hang out. Sit, sit in a room where there's not a television set. Make some coffee. Play a board game and talk about Jesus. I don't, I don't, know. I don't know what people do. I don't do board games, so. Um, always be sharing your prayer requests with one another. Ministry life should not be siloed, okay? It shouldn't be siloed. So when you get married, you get busy. And so ministry becomes like this thing that you have to do sometimes because you're busier. Oh, I've got a career now, I'm married, and now I have to, I have to go serve in hospitality. And you go, you check in, you punch in your card, and then, and then you serve, but you're not. your heart isn't in it, and then your lives get siloed, and he does this ministry, and I do this ministry, and we get separated, and then we come back together, and our only happy place is, is Netflix and chill. Okay, which no one even says anymore, so, but... It's like not even a joke anymore. That's like not even a meme. But I'm going to keep saying it because you guys understand what I'm talking about, right? Uh, and so that's, that becomes the actual joy of your life. And then ministry becomes an obligation. And ministry gets siloed. He's doing this, I'm doing this. And it's just not integrated, okay? So you've got to be talking about ministry in order, it, once you're married, in order for your married marriage to stay mission minded, okay? Come, come back to these notes once you get married. You're going to have to come back and look at this again. all right? But that's true. You've got to be talking about Christ. If Christ is the center of your home, well, then you'll be mission-minded. Three, share ministry. Share ministry. Find ways to do ministry together. That's what Aquila and Priscilla did. All right? That's why when we look at their lives, we're like, man, look at them working together as a team. They shared ministry. They were hospitable together. They were evangelical together. They were disciples together. They worked together. Psalm 34.3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Ministry is good together, isn't it? And that's true in marriage as well. So share ministry. Find ways to do ministry together and that'll keep you tight-knit in in terms of being mission-minded. Next, support one another in ministry. Support one another in ministry. Okay? And what I mean by that is that you're not always going to be doing... Like like some of y'all had this idea in your mind that when you got married you're going to do all of ministry together, hand in hand, tra-la-la-la-la, right? Like, now that I'm married, all my, all my ministry will involve Eva. And she's, like, there at, like, everything that I'm doing. Like, what if Eva was, like, standing right here? You know what I mean? Like, like we're just always going to be together. I think women struggle with this maybe sometimes more than men when they get married. Because um, dudes are oblivious and they kind of just like to be alone sometimes. They're like... I'm hanging with the dudes. I'm leaving. See you at 9.30. Yes, I'll watch another episode of New Girl when I get home. That's right. Right. <clears throat> and so, but, but the point is, is, that, is that we have to support each other in ministry because there will be times where one person is doing one thing in ministry and another person is doing something else in ministry and they need your support. Someone has to watch the kids when I'm discipling. And when Eva's discipling, I have to watch the kids because we're supporting each other. Because I know there's certain works that only Eva can do, right? Only Eva can teach blueprints. Only, only Eva can counsel this situation. I can't do that, right? Only she can do that. So I've got to support her and vice versa, right? Does that make sense? And so some ministry is shared, some ministry just needs to be supported. All right? This is good. Is this helpful? Okay, Oh, so I'll keep going. Number five. This is the big one. This is the real big one. Don't let good things abolish the right things. Don't let good things abolish the right things. <clears throat> there will be moments and seasons in, in your marriage where change takes place, distraction takes place. Do not let these things rail you okay things are changing i'm married i got a job i'm having kids i got a new job we bought a house we're we're switching apartments we're getting a new apartment right there's all these different things these constant things that are happening pieces moving shifting altering making your life change oh i got I, i i got covid i'm out for two weeks i can't do anything right i have to work at home now i have to create an office there's always look life is just basically life is just miserable and there's always things that are happening to distract you that's just how it works and it's almost always painful even when it's a good thing now here's the problem though a lot of the times we're looking to to f- be fulfilled by good things and not the right things and we let good things derail us completely from the ministry so like having kids can derail people like, completely pull them from the ministry. Like, it's not an, e- it's not an easy thing to, to create balance in all of this, right? It's not easy. I'm not call- saying it's easy. When a woman has a child, she's got to be out of ministry for a while, right? And then when she comes back, she's got to ease her way back into ministry. It can't just happen like that. She can't just suddenly be out till midnight when she's got a breastfeeding child at home, right? She just, things begin to change. But that does not mean you need to be derailed, Right? But so many Christians trade right for good. And they're not pressing in. They're not constantly looking for more ministry opportunity. They're not looking to enhance ministry when things are changing. They're looking to give it away. I've never once been happy about giving away ministry. I love ministry. I love it. I want to do it. If I could do all of it, I would. If I could do everything, if I could be be in the choir, I would be in the choir. It's true. I like to sing. I like to sing. Eric, Eric, don't look at me like that. If I could be in the choir, if I didn't have, you know, a million other obligations, I would love to be in the choir. It'd be fun. I could focus on it. It'd be a lot of fun. I can't do everything. Okay, I gotta focus. And when you get married, there's ways in which you have to renegotiate so you can focus, but you can't give up. You can't quit. You can't retreat. You can't make excuses. A kid isn't having kids isn't an excuse, right? It might change things, certain things might slow down, but you can't let good things abolish the right things. Now listen to me. This requires a lot of sensitivity. Okay, in an Aquila Priscilla relationship. You got to be careful. You got to watch out for one another. You got to look out for each other when things are changing. And you got to encourage people. Don't tell each other. What... Husbands uh, uh, that love the Lord are notorious for telling their wives what they should and shouldn't be doing in ministry. Be careful with that. Trust the Lord to be a support, not a boss, not a dictator. Okay, especially when you're having kids. Okay. Does that that make sense? There are a lot of good things in life. Ice cream's good. Pizza's good. These are things I can't taste right now, but they're good. I know they are. I remember (laughs) once upon a time, they were good. There are good things in life. And a lot of times we let good things rob us of right. You know, I don't think uh, at the judgment seat God is going to care about my mid-century modern furniture. I don't think he cares about that. That doesn't fall into the line of questioning at the judgment seat. And so we've got to, we've got to make sure that we're focused on the right things. Oh, my goodness. I spent too much time talking about that. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? Let's see if I can't get one more bullet point in here. Okay, now as we find that Aquila and Priscilla were a help to Paul throughout his ministry, we also discover they were just his loving friends. Like he, he loved them. They were tight. And I just want to briefly discuss friendship and ministry and how crucial it is to have allies and confidants in the work. You know, it's difficult at times for people to feel like they're connecting with others in ministry. I know that, I get that. Right, people that have been in Kaya for a really long time may, you know, suddenly feel isolated and alone. It happens sometimes. Sometimes we get there because of situations and circumstances, like the one that we find ourselves in. I think we worked really hard at making sure people stayed connected as best we could during COVID. Some people just haven't stayed very well connected, and circumstances got in the way, yeah? And they just feel disconnected. They don't feel like there's a distance in the friendships in the ministry maybe. Sometimes it's just absolutely selfish. There are people in this room. I'm one of them. It's happened before. I feel like I'm at my best when I'm depressed. Like I, like I indulge depression in my life. It's like, "Uh, no one loves me. Because when I'm doing that, guess who's the center of attention? No one loves me. I sit, you know, I sit at home in my dark place and just think, you know, and think about how no one loves me anymore. But people get that way. They get their way, and they come into ministry, and they put their head down. I can always tell when someone's in that place. Their head's kind of down. You know, maybe they don't sit with the people they usually sit with me. They're a little isolated, and they're, and they're here begrudgingly. Oh, man, that's so much trouble. I'm telling you, that, that is trouble. That's got trouble all over it. It's a dangerous place to be. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be isolated like that. But we can do that out of selfishness. We think, we think that people have done us wrong, or we haven't been included. But the truth is, we're just being selfish. You know, some people feel alone for all, like, all kinds of reasons. You know, you go plant a church with a, gr- with a group of seven or eight people, well, you're going to feel kind of alone. You don't know anybody in a new city. Sometimes you just got to be kind of, like, it's lonely. My point to you is this. When you look around this room, you see all these people. Well, half of them are gone right now. But you look around, and you go, these are your friends. It's, and it's so good to have allies And confidants and comrades in ministry to do the work of the Lord and not have to do it alone. To have one another, to have people that are gonna hold you accountable, speak hard truths to you, love you, care for you, give you hugs. Hug, man, nothing better than a Midtown Baptist Temple hug. There are people who didn't discover hugging until they came to Midtown Baptist Temple. We're huggers here. We like to hug. COVID isn't gonna keep us from hugging. Okay, not not me. Anybody who wants a hug, gets a hug. We're huggers here. Get over it. There's nothing better. Nothing better. And we need those people in our lives. And Paul found that in Aquila and Priscilla. Good for him. That's amazing. But listen to me. I want to point point something out to you. Look at verse 2. Someone is strangling a puppy back there. Okay. It says in verse 2, And found a certain Jew named Aquila. Who found a certain Jew named Aquila? Paul found Aquila, look ahead, with his wife Priscilla and came unto them. So, who was the one showing themselves friendly? Paul. Paul wanted friends. He went to make friends. It's very simple. This is, not a, this is not like a groundbreaking bullet point here, but here's key point number two for you. Yeah, we're only at number two. Key point number two friendship in ministry begins with intentional pursuit. You want friends? be friendly. You want friends? Go talk to people. It requires intentionality. Paul was intentional. Why can't you be intentional? Proverbs 18:24 says, "A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother." You got to show yourself friendly. You know it's good to be in the company of people who share our passion for Christ. It's good when we commune with people who contribute to a holy conversation in our life, who further our knowledge of Jesus Christ, these are the type of people that we want to be around. But listen to me, I want to warn you of something. Birds of a feather flock together. Birds of a feather flock together. And what that means is oftentimes we find ourselves not with the friends that we need, but the friends that we deserve. Does that make sense? Okay, here's my point. We're attracted to what is familiar rather than those that we need in our lives. You should be looking for friends who are better than you, (laughs) not the friends who are like you. So, you know, uh, you're you're thinking, oh, I want to be a part of the ministry. I want to be a part of what's going on. I want to get integrated into the body of Christ. Well, then you're going to have to make friends with the people here who are a little bit more advanced in ministry and life and and the mission and the knowledge of God's word than you are because you want to strive to be with them and like them. See, but the problem is that too many of you still have your best friends, your most infinite confidants are in the world. Or the people that are on the fringe in here. The people that are here but they're not really bought in yet. And those you want to make friends with those people rather than the people that you know that you're supposed to be like, so you end up with the friends that you deserve rather than the friends that you need. Well, pfft. How's that going to work out for you? You're going to end up in the same cycles of sin that you've always been in. How are you going to escape and change? How are you going to be more Christ-like if the people that influence you the most are the people you ought not hang around because they look like you five years ago? I mean, if you want to look like you five years ago, well, then go hang out with them, I guess. But we probably won't see you around here in six months. So here's key point number three. Mission-minded believers always find friends who are mission-minded. Mission-minded believers always find find friends who are mission-minded. And likewise, believers who are Laodicean in their thinking will be drawn to other Laodicean and worldly Christians. Like if you're Laodicean, well, you're going to look around here and you're going to find the other people who are also Laodicean and lukewarm in their faith, and you're going to be drawn to them rather than the people that need to help grow you and build you up and be your true friends. I feel like I'm really, I'm like really coming at some of you guys today. Like I'm going for the jugular, I'm sorry. You know, what do pastors always say? I don't know who needs to hear this, but, right? I think that's more of a charismatic thing. I don't know who needs to hear this, but this is for you, person. Okay, so, um, let's keep going. We can do it. Yeah. Or no, are you guys tired? What time does the Chiefs game start? Oh! We're going to finish, and you're going to have time for tacos before the Chiefs game. Yeah? Okay. Let's look at verse 3, can we? Can we do this? Is this okay? Verse 3. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks... From an early age, Paul was trained in tent making. He, he made tents. This isn't a job that exists anymore. If someone in here is a tent maker, like I assume that you that you maybe like work at like uh, Missouri Town or like one of these like old time where you like dress up like a Civil War person. What are they? Reenactor? You're a Civil War reenactor. That's your career. And you're a tent maker. uh so, but, but Paul was trained this way because learning a craft was necessary for young men studying to be a member of the religious order. His craft was tent making. That's what he learned because he needed a way to support himself when things were hard for the Pharisees, I guess. Like, just in case it doesn't work out for you as a Pharisee, um, you need to have a job because you need, to be able, you need to be a contributing member of society. You need to be able to feed yourself. So we're going to teach you all this stuff about the Torah and you're going to make tents because you might not be very smart and good at the Torah you need something to fall back on, right? That's, that was basically it, right? But listen, Paul leveraged this in an effort to support himself. Once he'd walked away from the Pharisaic order, it was all bets were off. The support system and the structure of the Pharisees no longer existed for him, so he relied on a craft, a vocation, a job to help support him in doing the work of the ministry. He needed that. He knew he needed a way to put food in his mouth, and he wasn't afraid of work. He knew that his work was a means to support his ministry, and he, along with Aquila and Priscilla, worked with the goal of making space for preaching. They worked in order to help make it easier for them to preach. It facilitated ministry. Many of you have probably noticed that at Midtown Baptist Temple, the far majority of our leadership are not paid staff members. Have you noticed that? Like a lot of churches, well, we won't say, we won't say those churches, but a lot of churches have like 45 pastors, and like half of them aren't very busy, especially right now, because most churches are about 50%, you know, if those churches even exist a lot of un, not busy pastors right now or pastors that are receiving some sort of uh, financial aid from the government because there's just not work for them to do. We don't really do that around here. We don't take that approach because we don't really see ministry as a profession. We see it as a lifestyle, right? It's the thing that c- ought to consume every Christian. And so whether you're a pastor or whether you're a pastor on staff or you're bivocational, vocational, doesn't really make a hill of difference. It doesn't make a difference at all. Your primary objective is to live the gospel. You don't need a title for that, right? And so that leads us uh, to to talk about why we do it this way. Here's point number one: Why do we do it this way? Why do we approach it? Because because working leaders support the cost of ministry. Amen. The fact that Miles works at Tivill is a blessing to our ministry. Because the money that he gives to this church... By the way, Christians have always given money to support the local church. This isn't some invention of the modern church. It's a ploy to, like, get, for pastors to get paid. right? Like, this is what the church has always done... ...because they recognize that financial resources help further the ministry. It is the funds of leaders like Miles, like Eric, like Alex, you know, like Janine... ...these people help get the church planted in Vietnam. So people have to have jobs. Not everyone, not everyone could be a full-time pastor. Okay? If everyone in this room was a full-time pastor, this wouldn't be a very functional church. People have to work. And the careers of the members support the, the community that we call Midtown Baptist Temple. Two, because working leaders supports evangelism. In other words, if you don't have a job, who are you going to talk to about Jesus? Right? Like, some of y'all might be out of work, and you're sitting at home playing video games. That doesn't really get the mission done. Having a job and being strategic about your career and your profession is awesome. It's an amazing thing. And there's a lot of people in our ministry that choose their profession because they know that they're going to be a missionary one day, and they want to know that they're going to have a job that translates to other cities and other settings. A great example of that is Brooke became an engineer. Well, there's engineers everywhere. And so when she went to Boston, no big deal. At the Merits, they were nurses. Some of you are becoming educators. And there's places in the East that would love for you. Vietnam would love some educators from America. Yeah, sure, they're communists. Sure, they hate what we believe. But can you teach children English? Come on in. Right? So, so like, here's the deal. We We need to be thoughtful about our profession because it facilitates... Ministry. The people at your workplace, they need the gospel. That's why you need a job. Like, more importantly than your paycheck, is the people at your workplace, they need to hear the gospel. They need to be invited to Bible studies. And also, being there and having that job is going to be strategic at at some point, because hopefully, if you go plant a church, you're a part of another work, it'll translate somewhere else. Third, because working leaders... Supports the gritty and transient work of church planting, which is what we already talked about. It is gritty. It is transient. Church planting, I mean, if you look at Paul's example as a church planner, I mean, that guy was always all over the place. Six months here, one year here, three weeks there. I mean, the, the man, he was busy. Tent making worked out because everybody apparently needed tents. I don't understand it, right? But people needed tents, and so he could tent make anywhere. He could tent make anywhere. So key point number four, missions-minded believers work hard in order to facilitate the work of the ministry. If you're mission-minded, you're going to take your job very seriously, and you're going to work hard because you know that your job is going to facilitate and support the work of the ministry that God has for you. I have a bunch of stuff I was going to say here, but we're going to skip that To talk about the work of the ministry. Verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. That's what he did. This is what Paul was waiting to do. As he sweat out in the sun, tanning hides, which is what I guess he was doing if he was a tent maker, out in the heat of the day, he was thinking about lost people. Are you at your job? This was the work Paul was waiting on while he was working this was the work that preoccupied his mind he was mulling over scripture in his mind here's the arguments i could make against the uh, against the jews in the temple to, in the synagogue tomorrow uh, this is what i could say this passage just came to my and i'm thinking about it and he's, and he's going over it, and he's rehearsing it in his mind he's mulling over it. it's burning in his heart he was praying for other people while he worked he was preparing his arguments from God's word. He was preparing his sermons. And certainly he was witnessing to the pat- patrons who commissioned his services. You know, all the people that needed tents, I guess. He was certainly witnessing to them, wasn't he? Key point number five the truer work is reasoning with the lost. That is the truer work. That's what we're called to do. Everything else should, should fall under that priority. It's the primacy of our work. It's the primary thing. Everything else should serve to support it. Everything. Everything. Your home, your marriage, your friendships, everything. Your job, everything should serve to support the work of sharing the gospel and reasoning with the lost. Everything. In verse 5 it says, Paul was pressed in the spirit. He was pressed in the spirit to speak the gospel everywhere that he went. He was pressed. Are you pressed? And is your truer work the gospel? We're going to have the worship team come up and we're going to pray and dismiss. Listen to me. If any, any of this stuff is a very practical message this week, if any of this stuff is stuff you're grappling with, concepts of marriage, things that you've been desiring in ministry, areas in which you've been distracted, like even right now, as you're distracted by Seth, okay? If, if, if you recognize you haven't been taking your job seriously. If you've been a bad employee. If you haven't been tithing or supporting the work of the ministry. Like if there's things that are off. And you recognize that your life and the ministry are not integrated. They're not one and the same. That everything in your life isn't going to support ministry. Then why don't you grab somebody and Pray. And ask for forgiveness. And go to this gracious God that we love so much and say, God, this is, this is just true. I've just messed up in this area and I haven't been thinking right and I'm confessing it before you now. Would you forgive me and would you help me to move forward in faith? This is an opportunity. Let's pray with our friends. Let's grab someone that you know can speak truth into your life and then we'll pray with you. And let's do that right now as we worship. There'll be people up here among the columns, Samson style, okay, and, and just go grab them and love on them, okay? Cool? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. And we are distracted. Uh, that's because we're fleshly. And you know that about us. And that's why grace is so amazing. Like, there'll be a point today where I've completely lost sight of the mission. And I'm going to need to turn my eyes back to you and I'm going have to have to ask you for help. Maybe it'll be in a conversation with my son or, or I'm short short with my wife, or, or maybe there's just work that I need to do to serve you in ministry, administrative work that I've been putting off, or whatever it might be. Lord, I want to do everything to your glory, and it's going to require your grace, because I'm just a failure. I'm so weak. And so, Lord, help me, and help everyone in this room, Lord. Provoke us to righteousness, or help us to be better missionaries, that we might live the way we see the apostles living. Just radical lifestyles for you, sold out, burdened for our city. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times, and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya. Got L-I...